as human beings, we're complex creatures. We're it's so complicated about how our brain works and everything I do in life. And the most things I'm most proud of aren't things that I've been paid for, let alone things that I've sort of made me happy. A lot of things that I've done is I've had to endure some suffering, endure yes. some hill or mountain that I've had to climb to get to the other side. But the sense of accomplishment when I've done that, not just for myself individually, but when I've dragged other people up to that peak with me and being able to carry their baggage to get them up there and then let them be free to go on to the next peak and I, I can stay and have a rest is something that I, I think is a great sort of metaphor for learning and education in that we're Sherpas in the learning journey for either the adults that I serve as teachers and also the students and being able to just be able to create not a path, but a sense of direction for these people to move on into the future to become the best humans they possibly can. This is Nick Kemp with the Ikigai Podcast. Japanese wisdom for a fulfilling and meaningful life. Find your Ikigai at ikigaitribe.com. My guest today on episode 69 of the Ikigai podcast is Matthew Borg, the principal at Kilo Views Primary School in Victoria, Australia. Matt, you are an empowerpreneur, so that's an interesting word, and you view learning as living with passion and purpose. You proudly serve the community as a principal of Kilo Views Primary School, and you're also on the board of the Victorian Principals Association. Thanks for joining me today, Matt. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited about the chat we have in front of us. Yeah, me too. So on September 6th last year, you sent me this message through LinkedIn and it blew me away. So I'll just quote the message. Nick, your podcast is impressive and has improved my life infinitely. As a school principal and most importantly, as a leader of humans that have the ability to shape the future through generations, the Ikigai concept is one that resonates as a powerful contribution to human improvement and empowerment. I personally use my Ikigai in all aspects of personal and professional life, finding flow in all that inspires me to be better every day in service of those I serve. Hell, I even have it plastered on the side of my boat as fishing is an Ikigai of mine. (laughs) So when I read that, I was like, wow, who is this guy? And I thought, gee, I didn't think my podcast would have such an impact. And yeah, we connected and had a chat and we've connected again recently. So yeah, thanks for that uh, <laughs> feedback, first of all. But how, yeah, how would you say Ikigai has impacted your personal life? But maybe before that, you can um, introduce yourself if you'd like to. Just before I do that, what I found very interesting is that message holds true, just as true, if not more true, uh, right now and today. And I just want to note that that message was written, obviously, before ChatGTP even came out. So you can't <laughs> give AI any credit for uh, putting together that that message. And that's a message I probably held on to for three or four months prior to sending, just getting the right words to the profound impact that I've had on myself personally, professionally as a school principal, and also for collectively in my own personal life as well. So it's all still rings absolutely true for the work that I have put forward through learning more about 
ikigai and how it resonates within you know my working life and my home life. So just a quick snippet about me. I'm an educator, learning and education and educational leadership in particular is another ikigai of mine, something that I am extremely embedded in. I am currently lucky enough to be the principal of a school called Keeler Views Primary School, which is in, the, is in the western suburbs of Melbourne, Australia. And we have a hugely diverse population of students. So we have students that speak 36 different languages uh, across the board and lots and lots of different nationalities within that language group. So uh, it's, a, it's a multicultural melting pot of, of Victoria where we're able to influence and empower our learners to flourish in the world. Wonderful. Yeah, we are a multiculture in Melbourne and Victoria and Australia. So I guess all of that comes with lots of opportunity, but also lots of challenges. And it, it sounds like you're handling it from the chats we've had in the past about how your school's tracking it's interesting, this episode, because as we talked about, you're, I mean, you're not a Ikigai academic and you're not a client or student of mine, but you have this love of learning and I guess you you stumbled upon Ikigai and it's had this influence on your life. So would you like to talk about the influence it's had on your personal life? So I think the actual concept has had a profound influence on my personal life. It's able I've been able to, through my research of Ikigai and particularly through your podcasts in particular, I've been able to utilise some of the concepts and ideas of finding purpose and meaning and real connection with both identifying what my Ikigai are, being able to understand how each of those Ikigai can actually be embedded within my own regime or timetable and life And what I found in particular, which is something I haven't heard many people actually speak about just yet, is the intersection between two ikigais coming together and being able to have that sort of as a super ikigai where, (laughs) for example, I'll give you an example. When my educational leadership research comes together with my family and being able to be a little wiser in providing some sort of nurturing and empowerment to my own children in collaboration with my wife is being able to have better outcomes for my kids and better outcomes for me personally because my kids are growing in a way that you know resonates our values as a family and that's yes. something that is huge and I think the fish the whole fishing piece is that is definitely one of my icky guys it is a self-care thing for me as well to be able to get back into nature so it's not so much the action of participating in the recreation of fishing. It's more being nurtured and immersed in the environment and being able to step out of a busy life and a busy world and actually slow down and get to appreciate the bird life, the aquatic life. And if I can do that with a family member, it again links two guy together and then creates this powerful, positive burst of energy that I can actually hold on to and use in my day-to-day living. That's an interesting aspect to Ikigai that I I hope is explored further that Ikigai can be this self-care practice. I've often described it as a coping mechanism for many Japanese who have, you know, extremely stressful lives and their Ikigai can be anything from, you know, reading to exercising to smoking a cigarette or 
alcohol, if it helps them get through the day. So there, there can be this idea that your ikigai might not be healthy or socially beneficial, but if it's what you <laughs> long for when you're struggling and it helps you get through life, I guess that can be an ikigai source. But I do like this idea of, yeah, ikigai is a, a self-care practice and I explored that recently on a podcast. So it's interesting you mentioned that too. Sort of naturally for you, it sounds like this self-care practice for you to go out on the water, connect with nature and just have time for yourself. And particularly in my professional life, professional principal positions in Australia has been quite a stressful load, particularly over the past five or six years, moving through a pandemic where the community were looking to schools for support uh, and being able to provide that sort of structure and support for young people as we moved into that those lockdowns and particularly the uh, longer lockdowns here in Victoria. Mm. So in general, principal health and well-being is actually very, very low in Australia. And there's a survey that's out called the Phil Riley survey. And it's always coming back with real alarming results around principal health and well-being about where principals are sitting. And knowing that in the back of my mind, being able to provide myself with that self-care, which in better makes me a better human being in society, for my family, and for the, the people that I serve at work or at school, it's something that can actually benefit tenfold because it's me personally benefiting from the psychology around self-care of locking in, linking into my ikigai and actually when I need it, be able to call it and say, I, I just need to do this now and then reset and come back to the work and then being able to be strong enough to actually timetable that into my life and schedule so then I can be the very best I possibly am for all those I serve. Yeah, it almost sounds like in education there's obviously this emphasis on children learning and achieving learning outcomes and it's like for teachers and staff and principals, it's almost like, well, just suck it up. Like, that's your job. And there's no thought, This, you know, for someone who's not really in education, I don't think I've ever deeply thought about, oh, the well-being of, you know, people who run education. And it always seems to be focused on, in the media, results and, you know, the well-being of children and teachers and I guess people who run schools, <laughs> we're not too concerned about them. So is that sort of true? Is that how most people would perceive things? I think so. Uh, in Australia, we have a teaching crisis at the moment around there's just not as many teachers in the profession. Uh, I've got a bit of a theory around there are a lot of teachers that have been gone through the formal higher learning of teaching. They just haven't taken up positions or stayed in positions for very long. And being able to link our what we do as a profession of teaching and education and learning and empowering to a vocation rather than just a job description is something mm -hmm. that I and my organisation at Killer Views Primary School and every single learning leader within that school, we hold so, so dear in that we see it as a vocation. This is something that we do during the day to contribute to society, to be able to improve the future by empowering young people to be better than they were yesterday. And we hold that true for ourselves. So we ensure that we have that learning mindset where curiosity can flourish and we can actually 
really, really understand the concepts of what deep learning looks like and then be able to put that into the practice as we teach every single day within our school environment, whether that be social-emotional learning. So it wouldn't be a surprise to you to know that our kids actually are very familiar with the Ikigai concept and being able to understand what the true Ikigai concept is and being able to display that. And what we've found, firstly, as a staff, is that we can actually connect each of our Ikigais. So uh, part of our induction to our school and also part of a, a launch of the Ikigai concept in our school, we all identified our Ikigai and be able to, and we actually have that displayed in our staff room. So every single lunchtime and recess, we have this big display of everyone's collective Ikigai and being able to use that as a social connection tool to create deeper relationships with people has been so beneficial in that we bring our whole self to work. We bring our whole vulnerable human self and being able to understand that, you know, a certain staff member's interests and ikigai line here in this side and be able to actually have a discussion about that provokes that sort of sense of meaning and connection for our, our teachers that is required because self-efficacy is something that's our, it's our first principle of empowerment culture here at Kilo Views. And if we're not right, how can we expect our students to get the very best out of us? So self-efficacy is something that we're so, you know, we prioritise so much. And, and again, it's part of the three main principles of empowerment leadership, which we developed over the past four years. Yeah, this is really inspiring. When you first told me that, and I, I think you've recorded video and you've taken photos for me, and I'm like, wow, this is someone who's really made an effort to, rather than just being inspired by the idea, you've, you've taken this knowledge, you've you've tested it, you've you've put it into your school system, and you're getting your educators to yeah identify their key, I share it. And so I guess that's also a reminder every day they they see that board and it might offer some comfort or inspiration every time that they see it. So let's dive deeper into how you've integrated Ikigai into your professional life as a principal and leader. Do you want to yeah, go a bit deeper on how you've done all that? Hey there, Nick Kemp here, and I wanted to touch base and let you know about my new course, The Fine Your Ikigai Course. Developed in consultation with Japan's leading Ikigai researchers, the Find Your Ikigai course is the only culturally accurate and evidence-based practical guide to the Ikigai concept. If you are interested in learning more about the Find Your Ikigai course, please visit ikigaitribe.com. Now back to the episode. So over the past four years and particularly through the pandemic where social emotional learning, emotional intelligence has been a real priority for our whole community of educators across the globe, really, what we've done is tried to flip the script on learning innovation and education settings to be able to ensure that everyone has skin in the game as a leader of learning within our environment. And that goes for our wonderful staff, amazing students and also our parents so really empowering everyone within our community to understand that they can take charge to lead learning for themselves and for others within our positive environment 
So we do that by establishing three main principles around empowerment leadership, and they are self-efficacy, which is the first one. So it's actually understanding and realisation of self, and this is where Ikigai can come in uh, and really aids in the concept of understanding self. The second one is collective efficacy, so being able to collectively be positive and understand that every day we come to school to make a positive impact on the lives of others and be able to serve them and empower them to be the very best people they can be in the world moving forward, regardless of what that world looks like. Mm -hmm. And then the third one is really about doing the right work. So you need the first two to be able to understand and actually funnel down into what is most important at that particular point in time for every single learner in our environment so we can do the right work in supporting and scaffolding learning experiences for our students, but also as an educational leader and a system leader in education, I need to be able to do that for the adults as well in the room, so the teachers, the support staff, the administration staff, to be able to scaffold a concept of empowerment, of how that actually looks within our school, and then how do we measure that? So put in place different sort of checkpoints for measurement, both informal and formal, that can actually curate an environment of nurturing and curiosity and real positive space for students to learn and grow. Yeah, this reminds me of the word ibasho, which is another word I think we both love. And, Mm. I mean, a very basic definition is, this place where you can be, but in research is this, this place where you're, you feel safe and secure, you have the tools and support to be empowered and you, you self-actualize. So it, it kind of sounds like your school has become an e-bashal for, for staff and students. <laughs> so does it feel like it is... Any bashful because when we spoke last time, you told me that the school was in trouble, and you were you were asked to go to this school and try and save it. And so you, you've obviously done that. So has it, yeah, become an ebasho of sorts? I totally believe so, both with the students and the staff. Which is over the space of four years, we've seen our positive endorsement in our staff opinion survey, which is put out annually by the Department of Education here in Victoria. We've actually seen it go from the 60, about a 60% positive rating to four consecutive years of over 90, which is really above state level. So the state level of positive endorsement for education settings in the public system is around 75% annually. And us to be over 90 is just demonstrating that whatever we are putting in place currently in our empowerment culture is forming connection and belonging to, to an environment where everyone is leading that learning experience. So the Abasha idea is something where we come to a place to provide learning experiences for students in where we find ourselves experiencing states of flow and connection that is just as connecting and just as resonates just as much with people as their own home life. So we are often, uh, as educators at Killer Views Primary School, we actually talk about how this is not a place where we come to work as such. This is a space that we spend the daytime hours in and actually have an impact on individuals and each other that is beneficial for our whole society. So it's about creating a space of 
belonging, connection, being able to feel safe in that environment and establishing values that are shared values within our community that we can actually help each and every individual connect with their own ikigai within the workspace or the, the school space and also their own home space as well. Yeah, this is interesting because you've successfully created this Ibashol and Ibashol in the 70s was, yeah, it became a psychological term into problems with truancy in Japan. And so <laughs> maybe a lot of Japanese schools could learn from what you've done, this practical approach. It's had this amazing impact. You've taken it from this level of satisfaction of around 60% to now four years of above 90, and that's above state level. So, yeah, it's quite amazing how you're tying all these elements, not just ikigai, but positive psychology, collective efficacy, and it seems to be really working for, for everyone. So do you want to go into how you integrated Ikigai specifically, you mentioned to me before we started talking how you integrated Miko Kami's Ikigai needs and how you've tied that to positive psychology, I think specifically the PERMA model. That's right. We've managed to look at the two areas in where Seligman's PERMA model, but also the seven Ikigai needs and how they actually relate to each other and interrelate to each other as well. And we found some really great through lines of experience for teaching staff to link to. And the beautiful flow down waterfall effect is, and what we find in all the learning that we do around self-efficacy and self-actualization, to be able to understand ourselves better, it allows us to perform at an optimum level for the students that we serve every day. And being able to incorporate that within a school learning environment, which is so human-centric. It is a human ecosystem, schools are. Anywhere where humans collectively congregate for any, <laughs> any, any periods of time, obviously, is a human ecosystem. But we need to get back to that idea of being able to nurture our e ecosystem and cultivate the ground on which people walk on with such rich nutrient and research depth ideals where society can actually move in a really positive direction forward where children really want to come to the school because they feel that Ibasho are in the school they know that the school is a place of safety sanctuary and curiosity where they can actually be themselves and their own strengths and character strengths will be recognized and also celebrated in the groupings and the work that we all do together now, if every single human in that environment is feeling that way and there is a, it is a space of positive reflection, being able to link learning to improvement and be able to understand that the improvement just doesn't and the learning doesn't start and end inside that school environment, you can just have as much rich learning experiences outside of our environment and actually bring them back to share with others to amplify learning for all. So... For us, Ikigai and uh, Seligman's PERMA model, uh, principles of positive psychology in the Western world, has actually all come together to produce a environment in which everyone has sort of major skin in the game, where every brick that has been laid in the foundation actually has the DNA of every single educator, student and parent who are part of that environment. And we're not perfect. We're always working on 
being better than we were yesterday. And that's the beauty of being a fallible human. Uh, a lot of the time, I self-reflect that I could have done better, I should have done better, and I let, have to let myself off the hook a lot of the time by saying, look, I'm human, I'm fallible, this happens, let's move forward instead of just reflecting and becoming sort of really despondent about what's happened in the past or the, the what may be served up to me from the department perspective to be able to utilise and manoeuvre that to create something that serves our vision each and every day for our, our students. Yeah, I love it. it. It certainly makes a case for having you know, positive psychology as a methodology for learning for both your staff professionally and you'd also think it would be, should be like a standard subject for students even if you, I guess you wouldn't, with primary school students, you'd, you'd probably wrap it up differently and you wouldn't um, be defining all these terms, self-actualization or flow. You would sort of just be trying to implement it. And we've talked about how I think both our children seem to enjoy primary school because primary school seems to evolved a little. I remember my son had uh, open plan learning. He was doing public speaking. They had all these values that were very clear, very, very related to positive psychology. And then once he went to <laughs> senior school, it just sort of back to that old school model of it's all about subjects, passing, what do you want to do at university? And, you know, teacher leads the class and he, he might be listening to me, but he absolutely hated it, just didn't want to go. So he went from really enjoying primary school to absolutely hang high school. And I know you're, you're only dealing with primary schools at the moment, but, yeah, obviously Ikigai could also help in all education settings. And I really think it starts with the educators. It starts with the adult in the room, I think. And that's where our real benefit has been in our school is that that's what we started with. We started with the people who have the most impact with our students daily, which are who are our teachers. And if they have self-efficacy and they understand how positive psychology works, they understand and can link to their own Ikigai, they can utilise Ikigai in their classroom with other students and develop connection and form a space that is healthy and happy to that is conducive to that learning experience because it's not all happiness and sunshine all the time. Mm. We need to be able to stretch people and stretch ourselves. And that's where that sort of sense of as a human, something to be purposeful for me, it's a struggle. It's something I have to, I have to strain to actually feel a sense of accomplishment, you know, and I think that's been a missing link in education. Intrinsic motivation is something that we have really dug deep and, had a deep dive in as educators about what intrinsically motivates us to actually get up every day and linking that to our ikigai and being able to understand and realise that, hey, this sense of purpose and this impact that I can have on these young people at this one point in time is profound and I need to make it a positive one to ensure that that person goes on to be a great human. And, you know, schools, that's really what we're doing. We're trying to nurture people to be good humans into the future because the education, the, the pedagogy, the way that we're actually teaching has to evolve with the new world and the new world of learning. Our leadership structures within schools have evolved. It's interesting you, you mention pedagogy and uh, probably a lot of people don't really understand what that 
means. But I'd like to pull a quote from Professor Hasegawa, who was actually the first podcast guest, and he has this quote, as Ikigai can be a guideline for the individual's way of life. It is a topic for interdisciplinary research in psychology, pedagogy, and philosophy. And so, yeah, pedagogy obviously refers to education and how you educate. And do you think there should be more research into perhaps tying Ikigai to pedagogy for teachers and school leaders such as yourself? Yeah. Absolutely. And I think more importantly, more action research on the ground is so imperative within our schooling environment because we're such a fluid community at the moment and things are just essentially the rate of change and improvement has just been gradually getting greater and greater. It's really important that we're doing action research on the ground and that's something that I hold quite strong is the the idea of educators, teachers, principals, school leaders, being educational researchers from the day they walk into a classroom and being able to apply that educational research and learning they've done on the job to improve student outcomes across the board. And being able to do that is adjusting our pedagogy, the way we teach. Pedagogy is just a fancy word, I think, for the way that we actually teach students and children. And Part of that key to some real progressive ideals around innovative pedagogy is around letting go a little bit more and being able to let the students lead their own learning, to be able to have that sense that we're all learners in this space, including the principal of the school, including all the way to the canteen manager. They are all, We are all continuous learning learners. It is something that actually makes us innately human is that we do not stop learning and humans have this profound capacity to continue learning all the way up until their very last day. And I think being able to embrace that and understand that is a way forward for every educator to influence their own their own teaching practice. It's really difficult to be innovative in a very restricted world of particularly government schooling. And sometimes it takes a disruptor or an innovator to be able to provide something different with some real evidence and data-backed performance measures that can actually indicate there is a better way. And just being able to be brave enough to for our community to take those steps forward in thinking, well, there is an alternative to the traditional pedagogy which we've been offered and being able to demonstrate the outcomes in which that we can produce, which are happier students, students who are engaged, students who come to school every single day knowing and wanting to learn, and more importantly, parents that are really happy and have the trust in us to nurture their most precious commodities in the world each and every day within our school environments. And that's something that I think the COVID pandemic taught us Mm. schools aren't just this vessel of traditional academic learning. We're actually places of connection. We're places where we can actually nurture students to grow into the humans and adults in which our society needs to improve the future. And a lot of the time there's some alarmist theories around kids these days, you know, not as great as the next generation or not as great as the generation before. I can tell you with absolute confidence, and it's giving me goosebumps now, (laughs) that the children of tomorrow are ready and raring. These individuals come innately and profoundly 
knowledgeable compared to us in the past. They do their own research at home. They are constantly being able to research what they're most interested in and where their curiosity leads them. And it's about actually embracing those learning concepts that they want to do for themselves relating to their own ikigai and then being able to actually put those into practice, that same sort of framework and concept to something in which will help them for the future, but they just don't know it yet. So it's an energizing space to work in when we're working with young people. When you see the future is, is so bright with these young people ready to take on whatever the future holds. Yeah, I've noticed that with my son and I, over the years, I think, wow, you know that at 15? I didn't know that at 15 or even now he's just, he loves reading. He's, I mean, he seems to be able to multitask his learning. (laughs) So he's sort of doing three things at once, but he's become very knowledgeable of philosophy and now he has all this interest in various types of music and I was like, gosh, <laughs> don't even know what you're talking about. It sounds interesting. So he seems like he's years ahead of me now. But I, I did want to ask you about the flow-on impact of Ikigai to your students and how they understand Ikigai or how it's impacted their lives or their, their learning. Well, the benefits is astounding as far as children being able to identify what means the most and gives them the most the most sense of what life worth living is for them at that point in time and then being able to even look back on that in the future and then actually see the variation of how things move and change over time. I think that Ikigai, it can be something that is profound and is lifelong and is sort of an accomplishment for your entire life, but the real strength is in the small tiny things that you do each and every day that gives you a sense of feeling that having accomplishment in your life by using your ikigai to be able to guide you and empower you to move forward and the children can actually resonate and relate to that quite easily because it actually gives the foundation of we really care about what you think personally and how you feel and what your ikigai is. So let's connect with that. And teachers can actually use that as a motivation for learning some of the other things that we know all kids need to know. All kids need to know how to read in this modern world. They all need to be numerate and they also need to have some really great ethical decision-making reasoning skills and need to be emotionally aware of themselves and others around them. So in saying that, these understanding a child's ikigai is able to, for us, is able to actually connect our own learning experiences around what those ikigai might be. And then a teacher and an educator who has up to 26 kids inside their classroom have 26 different personalities, 26 different learning sort of ideals and ways of learning. And they can actually create a bespoke path for that individual child at any one time, utilizing and celebrating those ikigai. Also, it's a great connector for our students where they can actually find a guy that are similar and then get one of those great sort of areas of inception where the two guy come together and you have this <laughs> you know have this sort of amplified effect in the school. So uh, just being able to understand have our children understand and become more emotionally aware of themselves and the others around them is a huge benefit within a, a learning environment. And we see learning as a celebration of, of freedom, yeah, and it's expression of freedom. Yeah. So 
to be free to feel as a human you can your curiosity can take you down any path which you choose and if that can be a positive path on our society and on each other i think the research shows the power that can have on you individually which i find amazing and and sort of where you know when i hear people talk about the wrong ikigai diagram the venn diagram that's been put up for years and, and did go viral for all the wrong reasons really uh <laughs> it's a great venn, it's a great venn diagram for purpose if you're sort of in a commercially minded framework because every single one of my ikigai is not something really i'm paid for it's not something i'm actually on the clock doing and mm. ikigai has to be a lot more than that and you know as human beings we're complex creatures it's so complicated about how our brain works and everything we do in life and the most things i'm most proud of aren't things that i've been paid for let alone things that i've sort of made me happy a lot of things that i've done it has i've had to endure some suffering endure yes. some hill or mountain that i've had to climb to get to the other side but the sense of accomplishment when i've done that not just for myself individually but when i've dragged other people up to that peak with me and being able to carry their baggage to get them up there and then let them be free to go on to the next peak and I, I can stay and have a rest is something that I, I think is a great sort of metaphor for learning and education in that we're Sherpas in the learning journey for either the adults that I serve as teachers and also the students and being able to just be able to create not a path, but a sense of direction for these people to move on into the future to become the best humans they possibly can. Well, I think that goes back to what should be a measure of school performance, you know, how your student, I guess you could call it student vibrancy, you know, that they're living a fulfilling life, they're learning, they're, they're you know, not, not only happy, but they're also willing to embrace a challenge and have that intrinsic experience that intrinsic motivation. So as we we wrap up, I'd like to quote you again. You sent this message and I think we could end with advice from you on how we can implement Ikigai into schooling work culture. So this is what you wrote. There really is a need for shared purpose within learning environments and the study of Ikigai is a key ingredient in our empowerment leadership principles We believe that self-efficacy leads to greater collective efficacy, which created an intrinsically motivated learning culture within our school. After three years of improving and implementing, I have the school performance data that supports our empowerment model. So this is something I think you can, this knowledge and this experience, and it's, it's now four years of improving and implement. You know, you probably could be an advisor to other schools because I think the schools around your area, they don't have the same level of performance, do they? Not Particularly not with the staff opinion survey data. No, they wouldn't. Educational performance is an interesting concept as far as what our society, our community, the department and our politics actually see what improvement is and what it looks like within schools and schools environment the hardest thing i find about being in a primary school and the reason and really the reason why i live locally to the primary school i'm in is that a lot of the time your impact isn't actually identified the long-term lasting impact until these students who spent the last seven years with us in a primary school go on to 
graduate and move on into the workforce and create their own families is when you can see the fruits of your labour come to fruition as an educator. If you're working on a conveyor belt, you know, all you need to do is walk to the end of the conveyor belt and know where your contribution was. Whereas with the education and schooling, it's not that simple. It's such a complex ideal of what a success looks like in a school. In walking around my uh, home environment and living in the in the community is something that I see as a measure and an outcome to see where our kids end up and how they end up. And I'm really interested to see what the future holds in this sort of social emotional learning space that we've gone down to create a culture in which empowerment is at the very core of everything that we do and help people actually understand that self-efficacy is the first step. It's us showing up, being our very best for all that we serve and also as a student to be the very best student you can be when you come into a classroom where you're open for learning because you feel comfortable. It feels like another place like home in the school environment. It's not toxic. There's no threats to your own well-being. So we create a safe and nurturing environment. And what other schools can learn is that we need to unlearn some of the traditions of the past. We need to unlearn that kids need to be taught. They don't necessarily need to be taught. They just need to come to a place where they can experience learning and see that as an expression of freedom and embrace it for the rest of their life. And if they do that, they will learn anything whenever they need to in this this sort of new world that we're we're embarking on. And even that plays a little tricks with my mind as far as every time I say the new world, it's always a new world. You know, in the 60s, <laughs> they were talking about what it would be like in the 70s and in the 80s, the same thing in the 90s. So it's every day is a new world. Every day an experience that we do is something new. It's an, it's an opportunity to be curious, to be kind to people and to actually impart a real positive impact on this world that we all share. You've actually, I think, answered the last question I had for you, and it was if someone is listening to this episode and they're a school principal or an educator or a teacher, you know, what would be your advice in terms of integrating not just Ikigai but, you know, positive psychology into their, you know, if they're a leader, into their school work culture? So, yeah, what is the first step for someone who's in this position of leadership and their staff are struggling and as a result of that, their their students are struggling. What's this first step they can take to try and think, okay, I need to open my mind and approach this work environment differently? The first thing I think any school leader needs to do is uh, kick their ego to the side. And <laughs> no, it's, it's not about us. It's not about me individually. It's definitely not about what I can do or what I've done at the school because the only success that we've had is the success that we've co-constructed together as a community. It's not it is not me, it's us and we that we need to think about for the future. As far as Ikigai goes, particularly as an educational school leader, the most important thing to do is to be self-efficacious in your own learning experience and actually drill down what the actual meaning, the true meaning, of Ikigai is and how it can be used as such a collective term for so many different positive psychology principles and it can be interrelated with some of the more westernized versions. So Ikigai is a cool word 
It's something that we Western people have grabbed onto as something profound and put on a totem when really it's really about positive, purposeful psychology and being able to improve ourselves as humans and understanding about what makes us tick personally and being able to tweak that in this real-world environment and then utilise that and embrace it to actually put a positive impact onto the, the world moving forward. So as an educator, I would be co-constructing a new way forward. I've had some great success in establishing and building at the very first step of our school community and our, our new way of thinking was a wellbeing charter for our entire school and staff and putting together the best positive psychology principles, utilising Ikigai within the co-construction of that and actually asking the people that we serve what they actually need, the parents, the students and particularly the teachers, to be able to what they need to be their very best and what intrinsically motivates them. And actually having these conversations around that I don't need to be a motivational speaker every time I get up in front of my teaching cohort or my students. All I need to do is actually tap into their own intrinsic way of thinking and the rewards that they get and you can get personally from being able to see learning as an expression of freedom and be able to impact the world in a positive way is something that I think is just a self-fulfilling positive cycle of your own personal psychology. Well, that is very, <laughs> that is very inspiring. You probably should become a, a motivational speaker <laughs> for schools or um, educators. But I, yeah, I was so happy when you reached out to me and we've enjoyed some really engaging and fruitful conversations. And we, we have a few projects we're planning and hopefully we can implement. So really appreciate your support, Matt, and the insights you've offered me and the encouragement you've given me. It's, it doesn't happen very often when someone does reach out and say, oh, this has happened because I've listened to your podcast and I think, oh, wow, I, I didn't realise it was having that much impact. So that's kind of my thing, having these conversations and sharing thoughts and feelings about ikigai and life so and i think it's really it's really important it's really important for anyone out there to understand if you want to see some ikigai actually in practice on the ground in an educational setting outdoor is open you can contact me you can get to kill views primary school we're on the web anyone can look that up and there's a number there that you can call you can see the ikigai in practice Nick, you've helped me along that way and along that journey. So for me to be able to actually express that to you has been fulfilling for my own self and to say, look, I can, I can acknowledge the work that someone has done to actually refine and define what Ikigai essentially really is. And that's really important to me because as we said, in the, we said previously, the facts count for us. That This is factual. This is the pure version of Ikigai rather than a westernised just mm. event diagram that replaces purpose with Ikigai. And being able to acknowledge you and the work that we have moving forward, I think it's going to be a profound uh, measure for, for schools to be actually, and all organisations, to actually really cater for the whole human being. And the outcomes speak for themselves. The efficiency and the work that we have for fostering people's intrinsic motivation moving forward through the lens of Ikigai is something that is very special and that our whole entire world can actually benefit from. So don't underestimate your impact, Nick. 
It is, you may not hear from everyone, but it's definitely out there and people are working very hard to try and sort of improve generations into the future. Well, thanks for that, Matt. And if someone does want to reach out to you, is there a social media handle or should they just contact the school? What's the best way to contact you? So if you look up Matthew Borg or Matt Borg on LinkedIn, is probably the best place to reach out to me if you wanted to have a chat. Also, our school website is very accessible through Google. Google, so that's Keelor Views Primary School, is actually where I'm the principal of and lucky enough to spend my daytime hours. <laughs> I'm going to visit, so we're, we're going to organise that. So that'll be a joy to come and meet you, your staff and your students in person and celebrate Ikigai. So I look forward to that, Matt. Thanks, Nick. I'm really excited about what the future of education and Ikigai looks like as a collective of yourself in particular. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time today. And yeah, I'm sure we'll be speaking uh, to each other in person soon. Thanks, mate. Keep empowering. Thanks, Nick. This episode was brought to you by the Find Your Ikigai course. Developed in consultation with Japan's leading Ikigai researchers, the Find Your Ikigai course is the only culturally accurate and evidence-based practical guide to the Ikigai concept. To learn more about the Find Your Ikigai course, please visit ikigaitribe.com.